Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.27 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the very first day of the third month of 2022. This is episode 553 of Bitcoin. And I, again, would like to thank my patrons over on Patreon and all the folks that are streaming me Satoshis through Podcasting 2.0 apps. Podcasting 2.0 is the non-legacy way that you can support the show. And you can do so through podcasting app slash wallets that are lightning network enabled for podcasting 2.0 like the breeze wallet and sphinx chat app and fountain app i'm really really digging the fountain app by the way i mean it's like i love i like the breeze wallet too but i am i'm steadfastly becoming a a a fan a very large fan of the fountain app and if you want to uh support the show in a newer way, you can do so with Podcasting 2.0 by loading up your Podcasting 2.0 wallet with Satoshis, and then you can stream those one sat a minute, three sats a minute, 10 sats a minute, you know, whatever you want to do while you're listening to the show. And it shows up on my Lightning node, and I check it every single day to see what is coming into my Lightning node given <clears throat> from rather from the pathway of my podcasting 2.0 RSS feed. If you're confused, all you really need to do is get a podcasting 2.0 app uh, and look for Bitcoin and podcast. And that's it. Once you start playing it, everything else is already done. You don't have to, you know, the only thing you have to turn on if you want to, if you want to support the show is the wallet's ability to stream sats while you're listening to the show. That's it. You don't have to do anything special. When you find my podcast on a podcasting 2.0 app, it already knows where to send the Satoshis. You don't have to put in my lightning address, which is why I don't give it. It's embedded inside the RSS feed for podcasting 2.0. Thank you, Adam Curry. Again, for the people that do want to support through legacy, you may do so at Bitcoin and podcast. That is patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast, all one word. And that'll let you do it through a more, you know, financial legacy, you know, means if you're just not comfortable with the thought of learning how to do lightning and getting a new app and all that kind of stuff, I understand. So I've got that, that particular route for you. And again, I am looking to have the audience in more way more involved in making this show what it is that you guys want. I'm I'm very serious about that. So I'm putting I'm going to be putting this out as many times as I can to remind people that I really actually want to have this show co-produced by the audience so that it makes it your show and not just my show. And with all that said, oh, 
let's go. Coinbase is the latest exchange to deny Ukrainian request to block Russian crypto users. Jeff Benson, Decrypt.co. <clears throat> Coinbase will not institute a blanket ban on all Coinbase transactions involving Russian addresses, despite a request from a Russian government official to do so. A spokesperson for the popular United States-based exchange told Decrypt, quote, a unilateral and total ban would punish ordinary Russian citizens who were enduring historic currency destabilization as a result of their government's aggression against a democratic neighbor. End quote. Ukraine has ranked, raked in $20 million in Bitcoin donations earmarked for military support since being invaded by Russian forces, but it's aware that its enemy can just as easily use cryptocurrency to get around sanctions or relieve economic pressures on its people. <clears throat> Over the weekend, Ukraine's country's vice prime minister and minister of digital transformation, Mikhailo Fedorov, publicly appealed to all major crypto exchanges to block addresses of Russian users. Quote, <coughs> Fed or rather, Fedorov tweeted in English, quote, it's crucial to freeze not only the addresses linked to Russian and Belarusian politicians, but also to sabotage ordinary users. We talked about that yesterday. Coinbase joins a list of other cryptocurrency exchanges that have declined to meet the Ukrainian government's request. Binance, the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange by trading volume, told CNBC on Monday, quote, crypto is meant to provide greater financial freedom for people across the globe. To unilaterally decide to ban people's access to their crypto would fly in the face of the reasons why crypto exists, end quote. <clears throat> Kraken CEO Jesse Powell wrote on Twitter, quote, our mission is better served by focusing on individual needs above those of any government or political faction. The people's money is an exit strategy for humans, a weapon for peace, not for war, end quote. Crypto.com declined to comment on the matter to decrypt, while FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried, who has several times testified before Congress about blockchain technology, has not yet responded to a request for comment. Most, including Powell, however, make clear that they'll comply with sanctions if they are expanded to individual sanctions. Coinbase, which is not available to Russian users, nonetheless doesn't restrict its clients from transacting with Russia-based Russia addresses. The spokesperson said, quote, we will continue to implement all sanctions that have been imposed, including blocking accounts and transactions that may involve sanctioned individuals or entities, end quote. The Russian government, as well as individuals in government and wealthy businessmen, have already been hit with sanctions from Europe, the UK, the US, and several other countries. A recent decision by Western nations to prevent the Russian central bank from tapping as much as three or $630 billion it holds in foreign reserves, combined with other sanctions, has had knock-on effects for the Russian economy. Reports out of Russia show long lines at ATM machines as people look to pull cash out in the event of a full-fledged financial crisis. The price of the ruble plummeted by almost 30% against the United States dollar. The Ministry of Digital Transformation, which Fedorov heads, has been very active on the cryptocurrency front. In September, it shepherded legislation to formally legalize cryptocurrency late last year and oversaw a central bank digital currency project. So it also seems to be, that's the end of the article, it also seems to be, uh, I heard a report that Apple Pay and Google Pay no longer work in Russia and is causing some fairly serious problems. And I had no idea that so many Russians used Apple Pay or Google Pay. 
that's the rub now, isn't it? You get used to using the technological giant's technology for your everyday stuff like, oh, I don't know, transportation, food, you know, clothing, houses, you know, paying bills. You're going to get screwed. Uh, so you, you screwed yourself by trusting uh, Tim Apple. I'm, I'm sorry, you just did. And those assholes over at Google, you should never trust those people because they're always going to be the first ones who say, yes, sir, because they know they're going to get a shit ton of money for doing whatever it is any government tells them to do. <clears throat> it's sad, but it's true. So you know, there it is. Now on a uh, happier, much happier note, we have this one out of Bitcoin Magazine written by Ryan Freebing. <clears throat> Through fundraising and financial revolution, Bitcoin has forever changed lives on Isla Tazajera, I guess is how you pronounce it. At the beginning of February 2022, I had the opportunity to travel to El Salvador to represent Bitcoin Magazine <clears throat> during the unveiling of the Bitcoin boat with the Built with Bitcoin Foundation. It was my first time outside of the country in a number of years, and I was excited to discover a territory being directly influenced by the growing technology and financial impact of Bitcoin. After becoming the world's first country to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender last September, some may think of El Salvador as a bit of a social experiment, but it's important to understand the impact that Bitcoin can have on the El Salvadoran economy and some of the different ways Bitcoin helps provide long-term financial freedom and stability. About a two-hour drive southeast from San Salvador, the capital city of El Salvador, lies the small community of Isla Tasajera. The island is bordered to the south by the Pacific Ocean and is only accessible by boat with a small population of roughly 1,500 residents. In partnership with Bitcoin Black Friday, last November, Bitcoin Magazine helped raise funds to build and donate a brand new boat to ferry students and teachers to and from school as well as transport groceries and supplies. Along with the boat, funds raised were also used to purchase general school supplies, laptops for the technology center, and upkeep of the school in general. Previously, students and teachers paid $3 a day to commute to and from the mainland. With this boat, they now commute at no cost. To some, this boat is just another means of transportation, but to the people of Isla Tasajera, the Bitcoin boat represents a lifeline to the outside world. For more than six months, the Built with Bitcoin Foundation has been working tirelessly to improve this community through the education of Bitcoin. But how can you teach people about the functionality of Bitcoin if they do not even have a source of clean water? <clears throat> Most of the island is underdeveloped and the people that live in there in homes that lack adequate sanitation have an irregular electricity supply and are built on flimsy materials. A short walk from the dock we arrived at the school that the Built with Bitcoin Foundation helped restore. A celebration of excitement ensued, <clears throat> and we were greeted by the students and their families. I was immediately overwhelmed with a mixture of emotion and gratitude and was thankful to be given the opportunity to be a part of something as big as this particular project. Quote, we are so grateful to have the support of the foundation, the community leader on the island, Don Walter said, quote, Six months ago, we didn't know what Bitcoin was, but now we have the opportunity to learn and continue teaching others of its value. So why use Bitcoin? It's fast, cost-effective, transparent. It allows the Built with Bitcoin Foundation to send funds quickly without the slow and nefarious eye of third-party banks. 
A number of these families on the island don't have bank accounts, but in order to use Bitcoin, all you really need is a cell phone. On Isla Tasajera, sometimes a few days can mean the difference between life and death if supplies are running low or a storm cuts the island off from basic needs. Bitcoin provides the island with the ability to send value almost instantly, whereas traditional banks may take three to five business days to process certain fiat transfers. Quote, people won't adopt anything they don't understand. In the communities we work in, we provide education, how Bitcoin can help and enrich their daily lives, and how it could be a means of finally attaining financial freedom, said Yusuf Nasseri, built with Bitcoin's director of philanthropy. <clears throat> in some cases, this is exactly what Satoshi Nakamoto wanted when they created Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer, human-to-human form of currency. The people of the island are not concerned with the daily fluctuation of the Bitcoin price. They are not, quote, buying the dip on the pretext of a Twitter meme. They are buying Bitcoin to get out from underneath the strong arm of the fiat system that has been holding a number of countries like El Salvador back from international independence and growth for centuries. Quote, our foundation exists because of communities like the island who have embraced change. Ray Youssef, executive director of the Built with Bitcoin, uh, added, quote, while many parts of the developed world are fixated on the speculative activity of Bitcoin, the people of El Salvador are teaching us about its true use cases and the opportunity it presents for greater financial inclusion for the underbanked. Traditionally, Bitcoin is associated with freedom and hope. Now, Bitcoin will be associated with education. Knowledge is one of the most powerful tools we can pass on to our children in the battle against fiat currency, and the Built with Bitcoin Foundation is using it to build a better world, one Bitcoin at a time. With the help of Bitcoin Magazine, the Built with Bitcoin Foundation, and Francisco Gavadia University, which also donated funds, the children of Isla Tasajera will be provided a proper education and grow up to become leading members of their own communities. They will pass on the knowledge to their children and their grandchildren and continue to further the economy in El Salvador. In doing so, Bitcoin is creating another form of generational wealth through education. Hyper-Bitcoinization is unfolding today right before our very eyes, and the Built with Bitcoin Foundation is just one of many organizations that are directly impacting the teaching, the leaders of the future with it. Bitcoin is freedom, Bitcoin is hope, and now Bitcoin is education. So I didn't even know about Isla Tassajera. I, I had, had not heard a single thing about it, yet here we are with yet another full-blown project that is helping the lives of people. It's, it's, it's amazing, and it just makes me want to go visit El Salvador even more at this point. Um, maybe to buy some real estate. You never know, because buying and selling real estate with Bitcoin in 2022 is the article that is next up from Bitcoin Magazine, uh, written by Paul Gilbert. <clears throat> Bitcoin has created a new form of wealth, particularly for those who purchase Bitcoin at its lowest value. Bitcoin is being used in over 270,000 transactions daily, and its usage is only increasing. So why not use your Bitcoin to make your real estate transactions? This guide will explain everything you need to know about property transactions involving Bitcoin. Thank God somebody's writing something about it. So how to make your real estate transactions using Bitcoin. When using Bitcoin to make your real estate transactions, you must be aware of real estate agents and companies that have experience of using Bitcoin in the sale and or purchase of a home. Some real estate agents that have experience using Bitcoin include Magnum Real Estate Group, 
Cooper Sotheby's International Realty, Sand Key Realty, and Open Listings. That's Open Listings. The future of real estate is changing to accommodate the use of Bitcoin in property transactions, and more real estate companies are facilitating Bitcoin transactions. In fact, Bitcoin is becoming as popular an investment as real estate itself. If you plan to use Bitcoin to purchase a property, you must first inquire whether the seller is accepting Bitcoin. If the seller doesn't accept Bitcoin, you've got to convert your cryptocurrency into traditional currency using a third-party website. If the seller accepts Bitcoin, you must negotiate the sale price in Bitcoin. You may only use Bitcoin to purchase a property if you do not need to obtain a mortgage for the property like a cash buyer. This is because banks are hesitant to accept Bitcoin, partly because of its associations with money laundering, and it is an unstable currency. Once the sale has been negotiated, you must also figure out the method of payment if your real estate agent fees can't be paid using the currency. If you wish to sell your property in exchange for Bitcoin, you again must first find a real estate company that has experience using Bitcoin to make real estate transactions. When listing your property, you've got to determine whether you are listing it only for Bitcoin buyers or if you're willing to accept other cryptocurrencies or traditional currency. Once it's listed, buyers will make offers in your preferred currency and you can accept the offer and sell your home for Bitcoin. So there's many advantages to purchasing a home using Bitcoin, including one, if you've made a profit from investing in Bitcoin, buying property using the currency is a great way to consolidate profits. Investing in property gives you a chance to diversify your assets. Real estate transactions favor cash buyers and using Bitcoin is like being a cash buyer, which can give you more negotiating power. However, there are also some disadvantages. One is the drawbacks of purchasing a property using Bitcoin is the lack of sellers. There, are, there is limited availability of properties being sold for Bitcoin and you may have a hard time finding properties in your desired location. If you decide to invest in property, you may miss out on future appreciation and returns on your Bitcoin. You will need to enlist the help of a tax expert as making real estate transactions can be pretty complex in terms of taxes. Some of the advantages of selling a home using a Bitcoin include the chance of appreciation offered by owning Bitcoin, of course. If you open up the sale of your home to Bitcoin buyers, you widen your audience and attract more cash buyers. The disadvantages Here are some. The chances of appreciation are equally weighted with the possibilities of Bitcoin's value depreciating, resulting in losses. The complexity of taxes involved in Bitcoin real estate transaction applies to both seller and buyer. And you will also need to establish a secure virtual wallet for your new Bitcoin, which may involve enlisting help depending on how well-versed you are in the cryptocurrency storage economy. I would suggest this, I'm pausing here. I would suggest Unchained Capital, by the way, the uh, good guys down there in Austin, Texas, they'll help you out with multi-sig storage. So anyway, in summary, like many other transactions, real estate transactions are starting to accommodate the use of Bitcoin to buy and sell houses. Since Bitcoin is an emerging currency, there are limits to the sellers, buyers, and real estate companies willing to deal with Bitcoin. However, selling with Bitcoin is indeed possible and grants sellers the opportunity for gains with Bitcoin. Buying with Bitcoin also offers buyers the chance to consolidate profits and diversify their investment portfolio. 
Uh, I honestly, I'm not as, as big on buying houses and apartment buildings and possibly like, you know, commercial stuff like a strip mall and shit with Bitcoin as I am open land, raw land. And one of the things that I keep thinking about all the time that mitigates some of the problems that this article is talking about, <clears throat> i.e., there's not a whole lot of people that have properties for sale in Bitcoin. There's not a whole lot of real estate agents that have experience with Bitcoin. It seems like a proper place for a third-party company to open up that will go out and greet, meet and greet real estate companies and say, I, we will help you by handling the Bitcoin transactions ourselves. We will help you facilitate the buying and selling of properties in your portfolio for your clients with Bitcoin. And you, you can do that with, you know, not only home, but, you know, home buyers and home sellers, but commercial real estate, um, you know, uh, open land like ranches, farms, stuff like that. I think it would be a really great opportunity for somebody to say, I'm going to figure out a way to get as many real estate agents as I can to be able to deal with Bitcoin and they don't themselves actually have to deal with Bitcoin. They just handle the real estate transaction side and then a company helps them by doing it themselves, right? <clears throat> have a company that helps real estate agents be able to tap into the Bitcoin economy and have it free flow from cash to Bitcoin and from Bitcoin to cash. So if somebody out there is looking for something to, to do, like a business to open, I kind of think that that would be a good a, a good thing to at least examine because I'd be more interested in being able to go to just any like like for instance let's say that I find a small I don't know like a quarter section of land you know a few hundred you know a couple hundred you know 200 you know eight, let's say 200 acres or something like that a third of an acre and I want to buy it with Bitcoin, but I can't, and it's for sale, but the people that are selling it don't deal with Bitcoin. They don't know it. They don't like it. They, whatever, for whatever reasons they have, I can say, look, I want to buy this property. I'm ready to buy this property right now. The shit's been listed for a full freaking year. You can't get rid of it. I'm going to take it off your hands, but I'm going to do it in Bitcoin. So I need you to call this telephone number. These people will help broker the entire deal. In fact, Unchained Capital themselves should actually have a real estate unit to do this shit might have to somebody email Parker Lewis, please. And tell him, look, if you guys want another unit for your company, this is the way to go. Now <clears throat> supply chains are next global. No, actually not supply chains themselves. Just this one company, global supply chain logistics company, Flexport apparently has Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Uh, this was a kind of a surprise. Bitcoin magazine, Sean Amick is writing, Ryan Peterson, CEO of Flexport, a global supply chain logistics company that focuses on connecting the entire global trade system, tweeted to the world that Bitcoin sits securely on their balance sheet. <clears throat> when asked what percentage of their $1.6 billion balance sheet was in Bitcoin, Peterson responded, well, we don't disclose that, but it's not zero. This announcement comes from a thread where Peterson discussed the ability of the company to navigate turbulent waters with current market tensions. Quote, 
Never a dull moment in our industry, Peter said. Flexport is fortunate to have over $1.6 billion in net assets on our balance sheet to allow us to continue to play offense while protecting the interest of our customers, employees, and shareholders through the volatility, uncertainty, and chaos, end quote. The San Francisco-based company also has the Bitcoin white paper listed on their website as Flexport continues to see reason to inform their users about Bitcoin. With an $8 billion valuation, Flexport has made immense shift in, shifts in the logistics ecosystem without owning trains, ships, or planes used to move the merchandise across the global supply chain. Rather, Peterson started what is being referred to as a digital freight forwarding, which takes the supply chain systems of their customers and then automates the process, typically saving their customers on expenses. Their system is credited with saving their clients an average of four hours per week and the removal of redundant communication. 41-year-old Peterson and, and Flexport have drastically altered the landscape of the global supply chain simply through automating things. Founded in 2013 with the intention of automating the process of customs forms, Flexport has become the central point of automation for the global supply chain. Quote, I wish I could look inside with a HoloLens to see which containers are Flexports, <laughs> Peterson said. Quote, any container ship on the West Coast, I guarantee we're on there. So that was yeah, an interesting way to telegraph that they had Bitcoin on their balance sheet because when he tweeted that, it was actually in reply to somebody who was replying to one of the tweets in the particular thread that this article was talking about. And it was like, well, how much of how much of your balance sheet is in Bitcoin was the actual question. And that's when Peterson wrote back and said, we don't disclose that, but it's not zero. And then clearly we all picked up the ball and, and ran with it. I, why not? It's a, you know, been a shitty few months, so we might as well have something to celebrate. Uh, State Street Corporation. Uh, to offer custodial services for Bitcoin and crypto. Again, Sean Amick for Bitcoin Magazine. <clears throat> State Street Corp, an institutional asset manager with over $4.1 trillion with a T in assets, intends to provide custodial services for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, according to an interview given to Bloomberg. Nadine Shakar, executive vice president and head of State Street Digital, alluded to the added pressure of regulatory hurdles presented by being a globally, systemically important financial institution, or GSIFI. Apparently, that's actually a thing. These particular institutions are asset managers whose failure could trigger major economic events. Quote, we think a custodian bank like State Street can continue to do what it's best at, which is keeping order and safety in the system. But we'll do it differently, referring to their status as a G SIFI and being the largest custodian in the world. Quote, it's my personal mission to prove that elephants can truly dance. The minute we get the nod, we'll be ready, Shakar told Bloomberg. We're literally investing in the future. We know clients are out there looking for this, referencing comments that the state, the size of State Street is too big to fail, apparently. Shakar spoke to the volatility of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, saying that further institutional adoption will create a more stable environment, citing one of the reasons she believes State Street can provide this stability is the market would take comfort from custodial solutions offered from a GSIFI of their size. 
In December of 2019, State Street launched a custodial pilot that was meant to combine the custodial services of Gemini, a cryptocurrency exchange, and the reporting services of State Street. In June of 2021, State Street launched a digital division led by Chakar, joining the growing list of institutional adoption, including Fidelity and their recent Bitcoin First initiative. Ron O'Hanley, CEO of State Street, had this to say on digital assets, quote, the financial industry is transforming to a digital economy, and we see digital assets as one of the most significant forces impacting our industry over the next five years. Yeah, well, that's the end of the article, but uh, actually it's going to be over the next 500 years. Let's run the numbers. Everything is on fire. Let's start with energy. West Texas Intermediate up six and a half points, ladies and gentlemen, to $102.01 penny per barrel. Brent North Sea likewise up 6.68% to $104.51. Natural gas 2.2% to the upside, weighing in at five and a half or no, four and a half dollars per thousand cubic feet and gasoline, ladies and gentlemen, 5.39% to the upside. You're now looking at $3.09 gas as a wholesale price. So do your own math as to what your uh, your region is gonna mark that up at. I'm probably gonna be looking at, if I was on the West Coast, $8.50 a gallon. Let's just call it that. Gold up 1.23% to $1,924. Silver up 2.2% to 25 bucks. Platinum is up 1.37%. Copper is up 2.5% and palladium is up, is that two? Oh my God, no, it's seven. Oh Lord have mercy, 7.16%. Agriculture futures are up except for chocolate, which is down one and a quarter percent. But the biggest winner is wheat. Oh my God, it's up five and a third percent. Soybeans up two and a half. Corn is up 4.6%. Sugar is up 2.6%. All food prices are, you know, basically going higher if this doesn't, if this shit doesn't turn around and come back down. Uh, Dow down a half point. S&P down a quarter of a point. NASDAQ down a third of a point. S&P mini down one half of a point. Real money is at $44,293.43. 288,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours is just over 12,000 transactions every hour on the hour with 1.086 million BTC being sent in that 24-hour period. That's 45,280 BTC being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 3.77 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.014 BTC or about 641 bucks. Block times are hideously low, eight minutes and 31 seconds with 0.06 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and uh, 10 and a half BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period <clears throat> with a 16, get this 16.71% rise in hash rate we're at 223 and a half exahashes per second, which is more security than, uh, way more security than we could possibly ever shake a stick at. Dogecoin, your shitcoin indicator, 13.6 United States pennies. 
we have exactly 13,464 transactions waiting on eight blocks to clear. We have an 844.7 billion dollar market cap, which is 6.71% of gold's market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 23.2 ounces of shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,971,508. 0.64 of and 3446 of those are locked in the lightning network valued at 153.4 million dollars being run over holy shit 220,121 nodes that we know about sporting 85,754 payment channels and 76.1% of all of it's being run over tor and that would be 11,644 tor nodes that we know about that's going to do it for vitals Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. My apologies, but we are going to get into a little bit more uh, Ukraine and Russian stuff. It's just because that's that's what's in the news right now. And I'm bringing you the news. So if it's in the news, it's for use. Bitcoin trading against the ruble surges as Russia's currency crashes. Tim Hockey, Decrypt. What do you got to say about this, Tim? Ruble Bitcoin trading volume has surged to a nine-month high as the Russian currency collapsed against the dollar in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. <clears throat> According to data by blockchain analytics company Kaiko, published in Coindesk, ruble-denominated Bitcoin trades blew up by as much as $1.5 billion U.S. on Thursday. The bulk of the activity was concentrated on Binance, confirmed Kaiko research analyst Claire Medilli in an email to the publication. <clears throat> the data also reveals that Tether ruble trading volume rose to an eight-month high of $1.3 billion, billion rubles on Thursday. The ruble fell by 30% against the dollar Monday morning to under one United States penny before staging a limited recovery as the Russian central bank raised its key interest rate. Russia's invasion of Ukraine prompted rapid and sweeping sanctions from North America and the European Union, including Russia's ejection from parts of the SWIFT international payment system and a ban on deals with Russia's central bank, which holds as much as or of its 300, no, I did it again, I got dyslexia this morning, $630 billion in foreign assets uh, in overseas coffers, you know, it's not like Putin didn't know that was, that was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen. You got to ask yourself why I'm just saying these measures are intended to isolate Russia's economy and they'll be difficult for Russia to find workarounds for as the ruble collapses, the bank of Russia is prevented from selling its Forex reserves to mitigate the damage. Crypto could provide a means for Russians to evade economic restrictions, but that may not be the case for much longer. Per a report in the Wall Street Journal, the Biden administration is in the early stages of exploring sanctions on Russian crypto activity, targeting exchanges that violate bans against transactions with blacklisted Russian banks. Tom Keating, director of the Center for Financial Crime and Security Studies at RUSI, told Decrypt that in addition to the legal pressure faced by crypto exchanges, quote, there is a reputation issue here. Do you want now or after the fact to be known as the exchange that facilitated sanctions evasion, even if it were not technically legal? 
end quote. Yesterday, Ukraine's Vice President Minister Mikhailo Fedorov took to Twitter to ask all major crypto exchanges to block addresses of Russian users, and both Binance and Kraken declined to enforce the request. Uh, earlier today, Binance confirmed to Reuters that it will block all individual Russian accounts targeted by sanctions. The, or rather, per the block, Ukraine plans to make legal demands of crypto exchanges with Yulia Parakaromo, head of the Virtual Assets Expert Group at the Ministry of Digital Transformation of Ukraine, telling the publication that, quote, this is a necessary measure. <clears throat> there is no way to identify who is financing the war and who is not. For now, ordinary Russian users have uninhibited access to crypto. So <clears throat> this will only ever be applicable to on-ramps and off-ramps. Peer-to-peer, none of this shit is going to do anything. So if you're, go, if you're trying to get your shit off of an exchange and you're, say, a Russian citizen, uh, very quickly, I, I guarantee it, very quickly, you're going to find yourself in a hole. And one of the things that will generate the ability of Bitcoin to have a circular economy is this. This whole thing exactly is why circular economies pop up in the first place. They're why black markets have always existed and they're how they came into existence. When you are not allowed to use your money at a quote unquote accredited institution, whether you were in freaking Greece back 4,000 years before you know Jesus was born or you're trying to do business today, if you have problems getting that shit done, you will look for other means. That's why black markets occur. And this is one of the reasons why a Bitcoin circular economy is going to get bolstered. We, I mean, there's already a little one. It's tiny, it's minuscule, but it's there. And it's just going to feed on this energy of people saying, well, shit, I can't do anything with you know centralized exchanges will you sell me x y and z product and or service directly for bitcoin and more and more people are going to say yes because more and more people are going to be in the same fucking boat get your shit off of exchanges how many times do we have to tell you that if you can still transact, if you're in a situation where you may not be able to transact with a central authority like Coinbase or Binance or Kraken or whatever, if you're still able to do that today, then use today to get your shit off of that exchange. Get it into your own private keys. Use your own private keys to vector your Bitcoin and cryptocurrency around wherever it is that you want to go. Because if you're going to rely on Kraken, it's not going to be too long before Jesse Powell gets a letter that says, fuck you, you screw around with us and you're going to go to jail. Jesse doesn't want to go to jail. He knew he put himself in that position that he, one of these days, this shit was going to happen. It just happened to be sooner rather than later. If this shit hadn't happened, if the Canadian trucker thing hadn't happened, and then we didn't skate right on into war in Eastern Europe, then Jesse and all the guys at Binance and Coinbase and everybody else at exchanges would have a lot more time to figure out what they're going to do. But it's these letters are going to come. 
they're going to come from the State Department. They're going to come from the SEC. They're going to come from the IRS. They're going to come from the Treasury Department. They're going to come from everywhere. And they're going to demand that Jesse Powell blacklist anything that they can that even looks like it's Russian. If you look like you're Russian, you may want to get your shit off of exchanges and you might want to do it right now because time is running out. <clears throat> now, outside of this bullshit that's going on, SEC is still unable to locate BitConnect founder that was convicted in $2.4 billion fraud case. Uh, Prashant Jha has it for Cointelegraph. Indicted by the United States Department of Justice in a $2.4 billion Ponzi scheme, BitConnect founder Satish Kumbani remains untraced following conviction. In a court filing on Monday, the SEC said that the whereabouts of Kumbani remains unknown. The SEC noted that Kumbani's last known location was in his native country of India, but has remained untraced ever since the promoter for his BitConnect Ponzi scheme was charged by the SEC for defrauding American investors of over $2 billion. The SEC in its filing noted that the convicted founder has most probably fled to a foreign country and Kumbani's location remains unknown. He's probably in Russia. And the commission remains unable to state when its efforts to locate him will be successful, if at all. The founder is charged with wire fraud, operating an unlicensed money transmitting business, and three conspiracies. One, wire fraud. Two, commodity price manipulation. And three, international money laundering. Ooh, if that dude's caught, he's never getting back out of jail. I'm just saying that. The BitConnect saga dates back to the ICO era and was among the most highlighted and talked about projects at the time. Founded in 2016, the project became a global sensation by mid-2017 as it raised billions of dollars from global investors. The project promises, promised a lending platform based on proprietary trading bot and volatility software that would offer 10% earnings to investors via the BCC token. The DOJ charged Kumbani for running a Ponzi scheme via BitConnect's lending program where the project managed to siphon off $2.4 billion from investors. BitConnect's native token BCC recorded an all-time high trading price of $463 at the peak of the market frenzy in December of 2017, reaching a market cap of $3.4 billion. The founders rug pulled the project in January of 2018, crashing the token price to near zero and causing massive losses to investors. The DOJ also accused Kumbani of creating fake market demand for BCC to lure more unsuspecting investors. The project, like many others in the ICO era, turned out to be a massive pyramid scheme where the creators used early funds to pay off old investors and later ran away after collecting billions based on the hype and ICO craze. Several promoters of the project across Australia and the U.S. have already been convicted and are indeed facing jail. Yeah, it takes a long time for those wheels of justice to roll. But BitConnect, if you weren't around, that was one of the, it was just an absolute circus. Every, like, there were so many. I was about to say everybody. There was lots of people who didn't. We knew what it was. We knew it was a scam. But so many people didn't. And they would hold rallies like like trump size rallies when they had a huge stage and dancing girls and all. I mean, it was just, it was a circus. It was an absolute circus. And they had, there was, you'd buy this BCC token. There was no way that you could get it into your own wallet because such wallets didn't exist. 
Turns out it was all just entries on a database that, and all that database was there for was to let people log in and see their balance on their BitConnect website uh, or on their BitConnect account. But that's all it was, was just a bunch of numbers in a ledger. It didn't mean anything. It wasn't, there was no blockchain that was securing it. It was all a lie. And people fell to it or fell for it to the tune of $4 billion, 2.4 billion of which they stole. And I don't even know, I mean, just the massive losses that incurred over that entire thing. We, a lot of us in the Bitcoin space figured that this would be the last, this would be the last time that so many were duped by so few to give so much. And we were wrong. We, I mean, now we're in the NFTs. Nobody learned a damn thing. It's really sad. Uh, <clears throat> the Freedom Convoy exposes weaknesses in state-run money. Mike Hobart writing this one for Bitcoin Magazine. Developments in Canada have drawn quite the audience as of late. A convoy of truckers that began as a small display of disagreement and resistance evolved into a global movement of resolve and principle, reaching an influence as far as Israel, whose residents kicked off their own convoy of freedom. A movement that has been rooted in a peaceful declaration of disagreement with measures taken by their government to restrict the liberty of their citizens has been met with some outlandishly aggressive pushback from Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Of these measures, we come to the discussion around the accumulation of capital in order to support such movements. GoFundMe has been used by many over the years to seek public assistance during times of needs, uh, among other motivations. The organization is proving that such centrally controlled authorities may not be worthy of trust by the general public for such needs. When it is so easy for one individual, such as a prime minister, to deem voluntary public support as, quote, terrorist activity with no real defendable justifications for such a label, how can anybody feel confident that any donations of support can be safe from seizure by a central authority? And going further, who are these individuals in ivory towers of authority to claim that their own activities are not inflicting damages, if not terror of their own? We have arrived at a particularly slippery slope when it comes to the discussion around law enforcement and criminal activity prevention. Can you effectively prevent crimes from happening before they are committed? When utilizing financial data, cross-referenced with logistical data, and confirmed with communications, sure, that's arguably a good foundation, but when we begin to act based on assumptions around criminal activity and violence, we begin to rapidly deviate from lawful activity and can easily dive headfirst into violations of human rights, particularly around privacy. When governments across the world turn to aiming to prevent crimes before they are even capable of occurring, that's a very dangerous slope to slide down. Yeah, we call that shit pre-crime, bro. Well, this is effectively what the Canadian government has done with recent actions of seizing funds that were voluntarily given by peaceful members of society. To really drive the matter home, there was intent to redistribute the seized funds to charities of their own choosing instead. They were actually going to attempt to steal funds that were intended for one purpose from donors instead of refunding them. That alone is a massive red flag. So the conversation comes down to the marrying of the state and money. Should this marriage still remain today, especially given such transgressions of authority and abuses of power? 
I don't dare tell my cherished readers what to think, and I'm not interested, frankly. My only aim is to propose considerations to issues that I see throughout the world, this issue in particular being of massive importance due to the implications of future abuses afforded if such transgressions go unchecked and unchallenged. While the matrimony of the state and money serves both of those parties well, it does not serve the most important party of all, the people. When money creation can be co-opted or manipulated to support powers that be, like the state, against the will of the people, the only end result is tyranny. Abuse of powers afforded by their constituents in the aim of servicing the government's own agendas without consideration of what the people want for their country. This concern, among others, is what motivated a few members of the Bitcoin community to come together and produce a declaration of monetary independence. The intent is not anarchy, nor is it the destruction of current financial and economic systems. The aim is simply to say enough. The aim is to separate money from state, government, and corporate control. I've personally had enough. Enough of the lies. Enough of the manipulations. Enough of the games. Enough of the tribulations. The aim is to promote liberty with this declaration. If we're aligned in sentiment, I recommend checking out the document in the link below as well as the article I wrote introducing the document going live here. You can sign the document or the, the Declaration of Monetary Independence here. That address, if you are interested, is declarationofmonetaryindependence.org. Declarationofmonetaryindependence.org. That is all one word except for the .org. It's just all one word, Declaration of Monetary Independence, and then .org, if you want to go read that thing. Cambridge University <clears throat> decides to be evil. They're launching a crypto research project with the International Monetary Fund and the BIS. Helen Parts scares the piss out of us from Cointelegraph. The University of Cambridge is collaborating with some of the world's top banking institutions and private companies to introduce new pro a new project targeting cryptocurrency research. Yeah, you spelled international criminals wrong, dude. The Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance, or CCAF, has launched a research initiative aiming to bring more insights on the rapidly growing digital asset industry they announced to Cointelegraph on Monday. Dubbed the Cambridge Digital Asset Program, or CDAP, the project is a public-private collaboration with 16 companies, including public institutions like the Bank of International Settlements, the BIS, and the International Monetary Fund. The initiative also includes banks like Goldman Sachs, financial giants like MasterCard and Visa, as well as major exchange-traded fund providers like Invesco. This sounds like a cabal to me. I'm just saying. Other participants include British International Investment, Dubai International Financial Center, Ernst & Young, Fidelity, the United Kingdom's Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office, Inter-American Development Bank, London Stock Exchange Group, the MSCI, and, of course, the World Bank. At its core mission, the CDAP intends to enable evidence-based public dialogue about the opportunities and risks associated with the growing cryptocurrency adoption, the program will be focused on three issues, including crypto's environmental implications, the infrastructure and digital assets, including stablecoins, central bank digital currencies, as well as cryptocurrencies. According to the announcement, the program builds on the CCAF's existing work in the crypto industry, including the development of the Bitcoin 
or sorry, the Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index, the CBECI is widely referred to as an index providing the global Bitcoin mining hash rate distribution percentage among countries. Other CCAF's crypto research developments include the Global Crypto Asset Benchmarking Study Series, designed to address ecosystem trends, inform regulation and policy discussion, and others. Quote, the Cambridge Digital Assets Program that we are launching today aims to meet the resulting need for greater clarity by providing data-driven insights through collaborative research involving public and private sector stakeholders, Executive Director of CCAF, uh, Brian Zhang said. According to CCAF Digital Assets lead, Michael Rocks, the CDAP will provide decision makers with the objective analysis and empirical evidence that they need to navigate the digital asset industry. As previously reported by Cointelegraph, some global regulators have been increasingly concerned about risks associated with the lack of standardized and trusted data in the cryptocurrency industry. In mid-February, the Financial Stability Board warned that the crypto market lacks consistent and transparent data and its linkages with the core financial system, which poses a significant risk amid the rapid, rapid crypto adoption. Uh, this is, of course, this isn't good, right? It's just a wholesale expansion of, well, blockchain surveillance. That's all this is. They can, they, they can wrap it however they want, but this is just blockchain surveillance. And it will become more and more evident that, uh, well, it'll become evident that we're going to need people to identify more of the emergent properties of Bitcoin than ever before in a much faster pace. I guarantee you the answers are already inside of Bitcoin. I promise you 100% the answers are there. But like Michelangelo sculpting David, he would say that he's not sculpting David. What he's doing is he's releasing the form that is already present in the solid block of marble. There's, there is an education that is centuries long about that statement. I'm telling you, man, there's more in, in Michelangelo's statement about releasing the figure contained within a rectangular block of marble than it is pounding pieces of rock off of a block of marble to create something that it becomes. There is a completely different way of thinking when you look at those two issues. One, one is a release, one is creation. Both are good, but I rather like the releasing because what Michelangelo was talking about was that David was in, in fact an emergent property and already existed inside of a solid, rec, you know, a solid block of marble, right? Just a huge slab, you know, not even a slab because that's more like flat. I'm just talking like a great big massive column of white Italian marble. And inside of it, somewhere, is the thing that he wants to release. Bitcoin's the same way. It is a solid block of something. In, we've pulled out many things from it, how to do certain things that wasn't expressly, you know, wasn't expressed by Satoshi Nakamoto. And yet, we discovered them. There are more emergent properties inside of the Bitcoin blockchain 
right now than we've already discovered. And if you think along those lines, then these assholes at Cambridge University, they won't be able to do dick. We don't need another blockchain. We don't need Monero. We don't need any of this bullshit. What we need is to really study what's going on inside of Bitcoin and pull out the emergent properties that will help us do the things that we need to do. I promise you they're inside there. I swear to God they're inside there. U.S. Treasury Department lists digital currencies as part of an effort to sanction Russia's government. Turner Wright, last one for the morning from Cointelegraph. The Treasury Department and reportedly White House are warning U.S.-based companies and individuals not to facilitate crypto transactions sent to certain Russian nationals and banks. According to regulations from the Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Asset Control scheduled to go into effect today, U.S. residents may not use digital currencies to benefit Russia's government including the country's central bank, as an attempt to circumvent U.S. sanctions in response to the invasion of Ukraine. The guidelines equated crypto transactions to deceptive or structured transactions or dealings in attempting to evade sanctions. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said the department's actions were aimed at significantly limiting Russia's ability to use assets to finance its destabilizing activities and targeting the funds Putin and his inner circle depend on to enable his invasion of the Ukraine. Officials said that the additional actions against Russian entities were authorized based on Executive Order 14024, which allows the Treasury Department to impose sanctions based on, quote, harmful foreign activities, including violating well-established principles of international law. Pausing to remind everybody that the Nuremberg Code was violated by almost every country on the face of the planet with forced uh, vaccinations and uh, sequestering people in their homes. So all of these countries violated international law and they are saying that, oh, well, Russia's doing it too. Well, everybody apparently does it. All of you people deserve to burn in hell. Continuing on, February 24th, President Joe Biden, the potato-in-chief, announced the U.S. and its allies would impose sanctions on five major Russian-based banks, as well as several elite nationals who have enriched themselves at the expense of the Russian state. As the Ukraine invasion has continued and officials seem to be looking at additional ways to financially deter the Russian government, the European Commission said on Sunday it planned to remove the country's sanctioned banks from SWIFT cross-border payment network. Though crypto is listed as one possible means for Russia to evade sanctions, at least one Treasury official reportedly implied digital currencies were unlikely to undermine international efforts. According to a Friday report from Politico, Counselor to the Deputy Treasury Secretary Todd Conklin said, if the Kremlin were to launder large amounts of crypto through exchanges, the market would observe a bit more of a spike than has happened. However, following Conklin's statement, the price of Bitcoin did rise more than 11% in the last 24 hours to reach $41,624. According to a Monday report from Bloomberg, the White House also requested crypto exchanges prevent Russian individuals and businesses sanctioned by the United States and its allies from using digital assets to circumvent the restrictions. Officials reportedly said cryptocurrencies were not a substitute for the United States dollar in Russia, but authorities would attempt to fight any misuse of digital assets to avoid sanctions. 
Cointelegraph reported on Monday that Ukraine's Minister of Digital Transformation, Mikhailo Fedorov, urged crypto exchanges to block addresses. And as we know, many of those uh, exchanges basically told Mr. Fedorov to go fuck straight off. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, we are right at the hour mark here in a couple of seconds, so I will not belabor anything. But I do want to remind you that uh, I would appreciate support for the show. I, I I like getting support for the show because it it makes it makes the thing that you do much more fun to do when other people value what you do. And if you don't value what I'm doing, then tell me what value I can provide you. That, I'm serious. I want to co-produce the show with members of the audience. And I'm not talking one or two. I'm talking about, I, you know, I don't know, for lack of a better term, crowdsourcing. I do really want to start positioning this show to go more of a direction of what do you find useful? I mean, I if you want me to talk about food, you know, like, a, like include a recipe, hell, I would do that. How to cook a steak, I would do that. But I need to know what you want. If you don't tell me what you want, I can't give it to you. So please consider, you know, taking a, a few minutes out of your day today and think, what would I want? And then tell me, DM me through Twitter. It looks like my DMs are in fact open. Um, uh, you can uh, uh, get a hold of me on, uh, through Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. Uh, you can get a hold of me. How else can you get a hold of me? Uh, oh, yeah, through. Um, Oh God, my Substack. My Substack, by the way, is nunya, N-U-N-Y-A dot Substack dot com. I am actually on part three of the 41 books on regenerative agriculture that will fill you with hope. Honestly, we could use all the hope that we can get. So I'm on part three, that's 15 books. Uh, I'm doing them five, I'm taking them five at a time, brief discussion, discussion on the book. And when I mean brief, dude, I mean brief, okay? And then uh, all the the places where you can purchase the book or otherwise access the book are all included in those. That is nunya.substack.com. If you sign up there, you can get a hold of me and tell me your ideas or the things that you want in Bitcoin and podcast. And I will do everything I can to get that in unless you want me to read some kind of dick joke. Probably not going to read a dick joke. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.